Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown. When we talk about HBCUs, we're referring to historically black colleges and universities. For more than a century and a half, HBCUs have filled the educational gap for communities of color. From college presidents to community leaders, HBCUs are producing individuals who are truly making their mark on the world. My guest today served as the 29th president of Edward Waters University in Jacksonville, Florida, from 2010 to 2018. Founded in 1866, Edward Waters University is the oldest HBCU in the state of Florida. His rise from sheriff of Jacksonville to president of his alma mater shows that HBCUs are producing graduates who are truly making their mark on the world. Please help me welcome President Nathaniel Glover to HBCU. President Glover, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. And I'm honored to be here, Dee. Absolutely. So, President Glover, your story is just so interesting, so amazing, that it's difficult for me to really pick a starting point. So I think I'm just going to go to the beginning. Sure. You grew up in an era where racism was, was pretty normal. And when it came to pursuing educational opportunities, there were only a few paths forward for African-Americans. And HBCUs were one of those uh, primary paths for, for educational opportunities. Tell me how you made your journey to end up at Edward Waters University. Well, actually, uh, Dee, um, I'm glad that's a, that's a good question. Actually, uh, when I was growing up in the household or in the ghettos of Jacksonville, Florida, there was no ambition to go to college. You know, the cost of going to college was prohibitive. prohibitive. And of course, we didn't even have that kind of ambition to, right. uh, to go to right. college. But um, I always think about um, an intervention. Yeah. And, and uh, my, uh, my brother happened to been a uh, tremendous athlete, and um, he was uh, pretty well known in the city. And of course, um, he did so well, I was kind of living off of his prowess. So uh, guys used to give me credit for what he was doing. Oh, that's Nathaniel Glover. That's Eugene <laughs> Glover, brother. Yeah. And of course, I would stick my chest out and I would uh, pretty much uh, just pretty much take credit. Well, I was going into my 11th grade year and the scenario changed. Um, they said, oh yeah, that's Nathaniel Glover. That's Eugene Glover's brother, but he's sorry. And when, you know, your peers call you sorry, you got to change that. Right. So I went to the coach, begged him to allow me to play football. And the coach was reluctant because I didn't have but one year of eligibility. And he allowed me to the opportunity to play, to come out for spring practice. And I made the football team not only made the football team, but became the most valuable offensive lineman football team, and I got a full scholarship to go to Edward Waters College. Wow, and so that's how you ended up there. And that's how I ended up at uh, Edward Waters College, and um, I think the fact that um, the Lord laid on those young men hard to call me sorry <laughs> actually forced me 
into athletics because I wasn't the type of individual who thought about going to college. Yeah. And I certainly wasn't going to do anything in high school to have to stay after school and practice and all of right. that. And, um, but uh, when I indulged in that endeavor, I was able to get that full scholarship to go to Edward Waters it, It's amazing how um, individuals' words can actually influence uh, at least certain people. Um, for me, I, I, I've always thought that I did not, one of the things that motivated me, I heard a teacher refer to me as mediocre Yes. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, right. and that motivated me to say, you know what, I don't want to be, I don't want to be average. I don't want to be labeled as being mediocre. So people's words are powerful, right. and uh, some some people take those words and it it don't really propel them to success. But I know for me, and in hearing your story, it reminded me of my own life. Uh, it helped propel me to be who I am. But you, again, you know, so you, you graduate from Edward Waters University. Uh, you, you work at the sheriff's office from 1966 and you gr grow uh, professionally and become the sheriff. Yes. Uh, but not only did you become the sheriff, you was the first African-American sheriff elected in the state of Florida yes. after, since the end of Reconstruction. Right. Tell me about the moment you were, you were elected and the, the actual uh, feeling that you had. Well, you know, um, when I became a police officer, um, Jacksonville had only had African-American police officers for about 10 years. So um, it was one of those type situations where when I became uh, a police officer, um, my other peers told me to, uh, Glover, you just come in here and, and uh, do your job, keep your mouth shut, make 20 years, and then you can go home and wait on the mailman after retirement. Yeah. And um, I, I wasn't satisfied with that, T. And I told them, I said, look, I want to do the same thing those officers over there doing. And they were the white officers. They were the ones that was in the leadership role of the department. They were telling people when to go, where to go, how long to stay. And I wanted to do that. Right. So I kind of endeavored into a career where I was looking to move up um, the whole time. Yeah. And I've always felt like I can do that because I went in a little bit better prepared than the average police officer. I had a college degree and I wanted to get in so that I could, you know, shine in a way that people would notice me. And, and that's what happened. I only stayed on the street as a patrol officer for, for about two years before I was promoted to detective. And look, I was the first African-American detective sergeant who actually supervised white officers. And it was an outstanding group of officers and I uh, only had one African-American officer under my uh, leadership. And they prepared, propelled me a kind of recognition portfolio that was off the chart. I mean, um, I made uh, law enforcement police officer of the year from four different organizations. And the, the sheriff was going out talking about my prowess 
yeah. when he went to talk to civic groups. And that was one of the things that helped me to become the first um, African-American de deputy director, the first African-American director in the sheriff's office, and the first sheriff in the state of Florida since Reconstruction. That's an amazing story. But, w but what's more amazing, to me at least, you spent, I think it was 37 years? I spent 37 years in law enforcement. In law enforcement. Yes. And but you went from law enforcement to being the president of your alma mater, Edward Waters University. So how do you make the leap? Because typically when you see someone who achieved the level of president of a university and you look at their resume, you see a long history of, you know, educational, um, uh, you know, in the educational field. Yes. But in your particular instance, you, you pivoted from being the sheriff and a long history of law enforcement to being over this institution. Well, yes, and, and, uh, and that's a great observation that you, you just made, Dee, because um, if you notice um, the whole um, uh, profession of educational leadership at the upper level has started to transition. You um, have uh, a number of people come in who were what we call non-traditional mm -hmm. presidents. And those will be the presidents that come in that didn't have the stellar uh, professional accolades yeah. coming up and then being promoted to president. Uh, there were a whole lot of uh, colleges and universities who started to hire uh, professional CEOs from other professions. Yeah. And, and I think I kind of got in, into uh, that group and I, and I did give a little pushback. I, I wasn't interested in becoming a president of my alma mater because I thought, just ha what you just implied, yeah. that my alma mater, who was having some huge challenges at the time, needed a stellar educator with impeccable credentials. So when I was asked, I pushed back a little, but then... What I did have, I had leadership skills. Right. And I right. knew that I had leadership skills. And incidentally, I always felt the, that if a person had leadership skills, those skills could transcend the profession that you go into. There's no doubt about so it. So no I was able it. to go into uh, my alma mater and, uh, and make a difference. Right. So... What was, what was the highlights of your time as president? Well, I, I, I was able to, number one, uh, one of the things that um, you, you, you look at when you go into an uh, institution of higher learning and that's graduation rate. Yeah. We had uh, a dismal graduation rate, uh, about 15%, and I, I was able to double that um, when I left. But um, that, that was a, bi a big deal to me. But I, I, I would say if, if, if I'm talking about highlights at uh -huh. the time, um, um, I probably was able to reestablish credibility in the community for the institution. We had an, 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 a large part of the community 
uh, I'm talking about the donor community, yeah. had lost a little confidence in the community. But my record had, of being sheriff and my profile and, and, and all of that, I was able to connect with that donor community again. Which is important. And it was very, very important. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we actually um, renovated the, uh, the, the dormitories. We actually built uh, new buildings. We revived the institution in a way that the donors uh, started to uh, come back. And, 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 and I think right now we, we've taken off, uh, uh, a new president comes in and we move to university status and, yeah. and, and everything is seemed to be uh, going. But when we talk about, and incidentally, when you talk about one of the most, um, you know, things that I was most proud of, uh, during my tenure at Edward Waters College, uh, the governor called me and uh, informed me that uh, uh, I had been selected as a uh, uh, great Floridian in the state of Florida. That's the highest civilian honor that you can get for my time at Edward Waters and my time as sheriff wow. combined. Wow. And so those were huge highlights. And, and, and just, just uh, another note, uh, one of the public schools that I actually attended when I was in junior high school, um, the uh, Duval County uh, school system had closed the school down and, um, and I was actually able to go and lobby the school board and they actually contributed that school to the campus of Edward Waters College. And uh, that was one of my greatest honors as well. You know, um, you, you've just, you've done so many great things. Uh, I don't know how, we, we don't have enough time if we did, you know, 52 episodes, I think, to get through all your achievements. But I do want to ask you this question. Uh, every HBCU has its own character, its own charm. It's always something, whether it's the band, whether it's the football team, whether it's Greek life, you know, there's always these unique, unique characteristics with each HBCU. If you were telling a young person why they should attend uh, Edward Waters University, what would be those reasons? Well, what would be the reason that I would uh, certainly highlight is the fact that connectivity with the students uh, at Edward Waters College and the faculty. Um, I think I was able to get the, the, the education that I was able to get because my uh, faculty members were very, very in tune with not only my performance in the classroom, but my behavior. And, they, they, and, and I had a kind of a relationship. Yeah. So the closeness of the faculty, faculty would be one thing. And the other thing was we had what we, one of the best choirs uh, in the city. And um, of course, scholarship students. Yeah. And it was in high demand um, over the city and even around the state. In addition to that, the athletics at Edward Waters College, top of the line. And I can tell you 
that um, when when I was there, we had uh, a debating team that yeah. was uh, had made uh, some significant footsteps as it relates to uh, uh, debates against other institutions, and I, I'm very very proud of that. So um, that that closeness yeah. is 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 what enables some of these students who could be. Um, uh, I guess dwelling in the realm of mediocrity right. to turn out to be uh, top-notch right. students. Absolutely, and, and I know that Edward Waters University was was founded in 1866 uh, initially to educate freedmen and their children. And I know you chose Edward Waters because of an athletic uh, scholarship. But when you talk about the reasons why uh, someone should choose the institution, you know it's just a it's a reminder of what we hear day in and day out. Uh, when people talk about HBCUs and the difference that it makes in the lives of our uh, young people from communities of color, that camaraderie, uh, that, that ability to really find your place in society, to identify, self-identify with who you are. And so those are all important reasons why I think our young people should consider um, uh, attending the HBCU. But as your time as a president, um, you went from in, in your previous career, putting individuals in jail for a living. And I'm sure disproportionately, uh, as it is all you know, around the world, no fault of your own, it, was, it affected communities of color. But then when you get to uh, Edward Waters, you get to put on a different hat and you graduate eight cohorts uh, of students during that time. And so talk to me about that and how it impacted your life. Yes. Uh, that's was the greatest impact because I happened to have had a stellar career in law enforcement. As a matter of fact, I was uh, honored and when I was inducted into the Florida Law Enforcement Hall of Fame. Wow. And, yeah. and, and, and that is a big deal when you are inducted into the Hall of Fame in any profession. And then when I went to Ever Waters, I was actually nominated two years in a row as HBCU president, uh, African American president of the year. Uh, so, so that was a big deal. But as you have so articulately put it, the whole time I was at Edward Waters College, when I left law enforcement, after having put so many young people in jail or presided over putting so many young people in jail. And of course, as you know, the criminal justice system being what it is, disproportionately those students looked like me. I thought I, I, I had a heavy heart yeah. about that when I was retiring. So. And then I get what I call another blessing, yeah. another divine intervention. The Lord, you know, sent me to Edward Waters College to revive my institution. Right. And I was able to go there. And as you so well articulated, I was able to graduate eight classes. And he, these are people that I was able to put back in society right, right. who will be 
tax paying, revenue producing, and serving these communities throughout the state and throughout this country. I thought it was the, the best, best example of redemption that a person can get. You, you know, um, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about it and it's, it's a miraculous story. It's one that um, uh, would just listen to it give me, give me chills because when you really think about it, you can, you can educate an individual cheaper than you can incarcerate them. And yet we have no money as a society putting dollars behind prisons and, and jails, but we are always reluctant to fully fund education. And um, this story of redemption, as you, as you put it, is, is one that's very heartfelt. And I, but I don't want to miss the opportunity because this is a very part of the HBCU experience and college experience in general. Uh, you now, I have to say this to you, President Glover. Now, I'm a, I'm a life member of Cap Alpha Psi fraternity, and I know you are an Omega man. Well, the o Omega fraternity missed a few good men, so I'm going to say <laughs> you, you obviously one of those we missed. <laughs> but I want you to talk about, you know, uh, your fraternity and, you know, how it has played a role in your professional and personal life and, you know, its role uh, at, at HBCUs. Yes, uh, fraternities are very, very prominent at HBCUs. And, and you usually graduate people who leave an HBCU uh, with uh, uh, some designation of being a, uh, a, a man from that, that divine, uh, those divine organizations. And, and, and you have those individuals who are more dedicated to service. And, and you, find, you find your brothers distributed throughout this country. Right. And, and, and I can tell um, when you started to talk about the, uh, the prison system the criminal justice system and colleges, you know, one of the things that as a business person I know you would know uh, about is what I call ROI, and that's return on investment. Yes. And it's just clear if you take the time and put in the effort to invest in some of these young people while they are young, then you won't have to incarcerate them. Right. You won't have to send them through the expensive process of incarcerating them, prosecuting them, and sentencing them. And I guarantee you, every person in the criminal justice system and, and end up in jail, it costs about $69, $70 a day. Right, right. I tell to, people to, all the time, to, to, to President maintain Glover, them. I, the best investment that you can make is in other human beings. That's exactly right. That's the best investment exactly that you can right. make. And I, and I think that hopefully this show and this platform would help spread that message, help spread the message of what HBCUs mean uh, to our communities and why we should continue to support them. But what I want to do before we end this show, because you have lived uh, an exemplary life, you've had a stellar career in both education uh, as well as law enforcement, and you've left your mark on the world. And for that, I want to take this opportunity to present you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award. And this award is presented to President Nathaniel Glover 
for your outstanding commitment to advancing historically black colleges and universities and living a life and career that has left a mark on this world. And for that, we'll be forever grateful for you and your service and all that you've done to make this world a better place and to make HBCUs shine like the star they should be. And thank you, D. I, tell, I, I will say, you're talking about a Lifetime Achievement Award. That is huge. And I can tell you, that's one of the most beautiful trophies um, that um, I've received. And, and the eagle, that's one of my favorite birds. So thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. And I'm going to close by saying this. Uh, I know that when you retired, you took about $250,000 of your pension to establish a scholarship fund. And what we're going to do from my foundation, the Brown Foundation, we're going to contribute $500 to your scholarship fund so that we can at least assist you in helping in some small way educate our young people. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Keep someone in college. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you, sir. And that wraps it up for this episode of HBCU. Thank you all for watching, and remember, without you, there's no me.